The priesthood reimagined a new law established. Hebrews 7. Last week, as we were studying Hebrews, we were talking about the confidence that we can have that we will enter the rest of God, the Sabbath rest of God. And one of the confidences that we can have is the fact that we have what the Bible uh, describes, and as the author of Hebrews describes, as a high priest in Jesus Christ. The author suggests that because Jesus took on flesh, he incarnated, he could uh, identify with us. He knew how difficult it was to live in a fallen world. But you know this analogy of Jesus Christ as the high priest um, breaks down a little bit when you consider the fact that Jesus Christ was not born into the right family. <laughs> you see, if he had been from the line of Levi, from the tribe of Levi, he would have been appropriate as a high priest because that's where the priests for Israel came from, from that, that tribe. They were descendants of Aaron, Moses' brother. And so it breaks down a little bit. And this is why we have chapter 7 of Hebrews. Because the author wants to remind his readers that there was one exception, at least, to the Levitical priesthood that we know of that is in the Bible. A guy called Melchizedek. This is why I believe the author brings Melchizedek up, because he wants to establish that Jesus Christ is a high priest. In fact, three times before chapter 7, in the lead up to chapter 7, this very important chapter about Jesus Christ being a high priest, he mentions Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek is like a, a, a very, has a very <coughs> limited role in Scripture. But the Hebrew author wants to make sure that it's very clear to us in our minds that Jesus Christ was a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He says it three times, once in chapter 5, and, and twice in chapter 5, and once in chapter 6, leading up to chapter 7. Jesus was, like Melchizedek, a priest not from the tribe of Levi, not a descendant of Aaron, the first high priest. So what do we know about Melchizedek? Now I hope you have your thinking caps on today, because uh, it's going to get a little dense, it's going to get a little thick. Um, and uh, you'll have to try to stay sharp and uh, to, to get all this. But uh, we'll, we'll work, our way, we'll work our, our way through Hebrews 7. Before we, before we do that, we need to find out a little bit more about Melchizedek. And actually, the, the story of Melchizedek is found in Genesis 14. The context is that Abraham, the, the great patriarch of, uh, of Israel, and his family, Sarah and his wife and his uh, nephew Lot, have gotten into the land of Canaan, and they have prospered so much that they, they have to split. The family and Lot goes one way and Abraham stays where he is and, and, and so they separate the lands. 
and there's fighting going on, and there's different kings in the land, and it turns out that Lot is taken captive in one of these little wars, and uh, is taken and becomes a prisoner. So Abraham gathers together some of his fighting men, and they go off, and they actually deliver Lot, and they're heading home uh, when they come across this guy called Melchizedek. And so this is the account of Melchizedek found in Genesis 14. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them. These are the guys holding Lot. And he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah near Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. After Abram returned from defeating Lomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shabbat. Now, we catch up with that a little bit later. Verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So Abram's coming back from war. He runs into this high priest. Okay? Now, you've got to know, this is hundreds of years, probably 500 years, before there even is a Levitical priesthood. But here's this high priest called Melchizedek, and he brings out what? Bread and wine, because he's going to celebrate with Abram the goodness of God in blessing him, delivering Lot, and uh, helping him to return safely. The only other passage besides Hebrews 7 that refers to Melchizedek in the word is, is Psalm 110, which is a psalm of David. And it's what we would call a messianic psalm which means a psalm that speaks about the coming Messiah. David wrote many psalms, many psalms of worship, and some of them we call Messianic because they speak of a future coming deliverer or Savior. And so Psalm 110 is where we find another reference to Melchizedek. It's just a not very many verses, about seven verses. Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning womb. The morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a great priest or a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. So these people that have received this letter from the author well, just call him the author, of Hebrews. They know the story of Abraham coming back and meeting this mysterious fellow called Melchizedek. And they know 
of David's reference, and they have or are working out that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that David wrote about, who is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. There's a lot of debate about who Melchizedek was. So the first idea is that he was a Christophany. That's a big word for you. Christophany, which is taken from theophany, which is um, God-like. All right? And so a Christophany would be the pre-incarnate, so before Jesus came, you know, was born, incarnated, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. That's one idea of who this Melchizedek was. It was actually Jesus. All right? And he came and he broke wine, uh, or broke bread and wine with, with Abram. And so people that believe this would point to, you know, other times when they would, they would ascribe situations to the pre-incarnate Christ uh, connecting. So for instance, some people would ascribe the idea, if you remember Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego going into the furnace, and there wasn't three, there was four, right? They would say the fourth was a Christophany, was, was Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate Christ with them in the furnace. Or uh, Jacob, wrestling at night, right? Uh, we all take it to be God, but, you know, some people would say, well, that was the pre-incarnate Christ. So that's, that's one idea. But others will say that he was not, this Melchizedek wasn't the pre-incarnate Christ, but in fact was a real person, just like you and me, whose actions kind of foreshadowed Christ's. For instance, you've heard, and it's in, in Scripture, that Adam was a type of Christ. Well, how was Adam a type of Christ? Well, because Adam sinned, all of humanity sins. Because Christ died and rose from the grave, all humanity has the opportunity to do the same. So he's a type of Christ, Adam is. Um, Moses is a type of Christ because he delivers people from bondage, just as Jesus delivers people from bondage. So some people will say that Melchizedek was a type of Christ. So he's either the pre-incarnate Christ or he is a type of Christ Clearly from our passage today in Genesis 7, or Hebrews 7, we're going to see that um, whichever way you look at it, there's profound significance connecting Melchizedek to Jesus Christ. And that's why the author writes, Jesus Christ is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So I want us to take a look now at, at this passage. And so all of those other passages are not our scripture passage for today. This is. And this is the excerpt from Hebrews 7. Remember, three times Jesus is referred to by the author of Hebrews as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And then verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 1, he says... <coughs> This Melchizedek was a king of Salem and priest of God Most High. See, this is where you start to get information about Melchizedek. It's, it's actually sort of like the, the encyclopedia section on Melchizedek of the word. Okay? 
He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. So there you're like, oh, yeah, there he's a Christophany. That's Jesus doing that, because that's what Jesus is called, right? King of righteousness, the king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So if you believe that that, that is Jesus Christ, you get those terms, you know, that he was without father or mother, without beginning of days. But if he's actually a type of Christ, you'd probably take those to sort of being, we just don't know his genealogy, we don't know who his mom and dad were, he just got popped into history, and we, we just don't know who he is. So let's move on to verse 4. Just think, just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people. That is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they are, are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without debt, doubt, sorry, the lesser is blessed by the greater. The lesser is Abraham, in that case, the greater is Melchizedek. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die. But in other case, by him who is declared to be living. That would be Melchizedek again. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham. Because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. So what he's saying there is that the Levitical priesthood, who used to take a tenth as part of um, worship in the Mosaic Law, the Levitical, Levitical priesthood that would take the tenth actually paid a tenth through Abraham, who was their forefather, to Melchizedek. So that would make Melchizedek greater than the Levitical priesthood, right? All right. Verse 11. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. Remember, Aaron is the first high priest. The Levitical priesthood is, are all descendants of his. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. In regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So priests don't come from Judah. But Jesus was from Judah, the tribe of Judah. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. You with me? <laughs> it's crazy, eh? Verse 17. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Now that's quoting Psalm 110. 
Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for, for his own sins and then for the sins of his people. He sacrificed for the sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. forever. Wow! That's, a, that's a, an intense piece of scripture. I'm going to try to just sort of break it down into its most basic elements to sort of try to describe what's the point here. But I want to start off with this idea of order. You know, in our Christian tradition, the Christian church, or if you're a Baptist or Pentecostal or whatever you are, Presbyterian, we don't really have orders. But if, you were, if you're Catholic, if you were called into ministry, you might be called into an order within the Catholic church. Right? And these orders are basically established after their founders. And so there are orders after uh, St. Francis of Assisi. There are Benedictines. And so they're named after the uh, leader, the original priest. And basically, people that join those orders sort of have the same heart, sort of have the same passions, and sort of work at the same stuff. That's what it means to be in an order. So I asked Charlie the other day, I said, Charlie, if you were, if you were joining a Catholic order, he's very, he's very proud of his Catholicism, by the way. <laughs> uh, Charlie, um, I said, what would you be? And he said, I would be a Franciscan. And he said, the reason he'd be a Franciscan is that they have a very close association with nature. Okay? And so... Uh, that was his reasoning of why. So basically, Jesus then was from the order of Melchizedek. Now we've already established Melchizedek is this priest who is outside of the Levitical priesthood that the Hebrews are used to. He was not from the tribe of Levi. He was just this anomaly. And so basically, the author is saying, see, there can be priests outside of the Levitical priestess, priesthood, uh, look at Melchizedek, and Jesus is one of them. And so we have this relationship where he's pointing to the similarities between Jesus and Melchizedek. And so we read, he, he wrote, he's, uh, he was named the king of righteousness and peace, without father or mother. Now we know, we just went through Christmas, we know that there was Joseph and Mary, but you know <laughs> that's not Jesus' real mom and dad. Okay, um, he was without genealogy. Okay, um, he was uh, without the beginning of days or end of life. In other words, he's sort of an eternal being that doesn't have a start or a finish. Um, he has, um, like Jesus, the, the sort of the 
credibility to receive a tenth. <laughs> okay, so he, he was worthy of receiving a tenth from the big guy, Abraham. All right? Um, he was able to bless. He didn't think it anything to bless Abraham. Right? And uh, as Scripture says, Melchizedek was a priest forever. And so you can look at those descriptors right there, and you can sort of say, yeah, Jesus and Melchizedek, I get it. I, I see how he's from the order of Melchizedek. That's how I can see Jesus in that way. But there's something that, that he throws in there that is a, dis, a, a qualifier and something that distinguishes Jesus from Melchizedek. And he says, Melchizedek was all of these things, and then he says, resembling the Son of God. So he doesn't want us to sort of say he's equal to. That's why I didn't use on that graphic equal. It's not an equality, but there's similarities. Just as somebody who's in the order of the Franciscan order would never sort of say I'm equal to St. Francis. They're not going to. You know, it's similar, resembles, but not the same. All right, so... Other than addressing this issue that Christ is not from the Levitical priesthood, is there a greater reason for comparison, comparing Jesus Christ to Melchizedek? And of course there is. You write your sermons, you make your points, and then you put questions ahead of them that are related to the, what you're about to say. That's how it works. Okay? <laughs> of course there's a reason. Clearly there is a reason why um, the writer of Hebrews has brought up Melchizedek in relation to Jesus Christ. Yes, he was not from the Levitical line. He's outside. He's an anomaly. He's different. But what else is there to it? There must be something more. Well, let's just continue with the train of thought in this passage, which is murky and hard to figure out. But the next thing that the author does is he says... Let's be clear. Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Now let's be sure about that, okay? Because Abraham is like the grand poopah. He's the big guy. Right? He's the patriarch of Israel. And he's saying, let's be clear. Melchizedek is greater. As a matter of fact, Melchizedek received a tenth from Abraham. Abraham thought, didn't think anything of the fact that he was going to give one-tenth of the plunder to this high priest called Melchizedek. Secondly, he blessed Abraham. And thirdly, he's alive. <laughs> and Abram's dead. Okay? And so, those are three things that he points out. Now, the thing is, I've got in brackets Levi, because when we talk about Abraham, you've got to remember uh, that Levi is a descendant of Abraham. And Levi is the priesthood. So keep that in mind. Levi is the priesthood. He's connected to Abraham because he's a descendant. Melchizedek, this guy who's sort of out of place, just doesn't fit into the, the whole picture, comes out of nowhere. This guy is greater than Abraham. And therefore, he is greater than Levi, and he is greater than the priesthood, and he is greater, we're getting there, than the Mosaic law. 
And this is where we're going. We're going to the fact that Jesus Christ is the priest of a better law, or a higher law, or a superior law, a greater covenant. He is the purveyor. He is the arbiter of a new covenant. One that is better than the old one. So the author completes this sort of equation that we've got going here. We've got uh, Jesus and Melchizedek resemble. We've got Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Let's just finish the equation. Jesus is greater than Abraham. Therefore, he's greater than Levi. And this is because of the following reasons that he lists. One, Jesus, as the Son of God, which has been established earlier in Hebrews, his priesthood was ordained by an oath. As the author says, other priests just kind of got born into it. This was special. Jesus, or God, made a proclamation this Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So there was an oath. He's a priest forever, unlike the priests in the priesthood that would die. He's eternally interceding for us. So he is, he didn't have a tenure. He didn't have a term. He didn't, he did, you know, he didn't retire from priest, priestly duties. He's eternally interceding. He brings us a better hope because he's the arbiter of a better covenant. He is holy, blameless, pure, and exalted. And if you read the Old Testament, <laughs> and you find out about some of the priests in the Old Testament, those words would not describe them. Right? There were some wicked priests. But they were still priests because they were descendants of Levi, descendants of Abraham but not Jesus. Holy, blameless, pure, exalted. And, most importantly, he made one sacrifice, once and for all, that was effective for eternity. He goes on and he says, if perfection, we've just read this, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? Why is there this need if we already have this Levitical priesthood with all of its sacrifices all in place, why did there need to be a new priest who's not connected to that system or that law or under that covenant? Well, that's because that first law was weak and ineffective. So why was there still another priest to come? one in the order of Melchizedek, from whom the priesthood is changed. I'm oh, sorry, when, for when the priesthood is changed, the law must also change. And so there you have it. You have Jesus Christ, a priest outside of the Levitical priesthood, who has introduced, or who is a priest of a new covenant, not the old covenant. And so we have the priesthood reimagined. And we have a new law introduced. And so the author of Hebrews, who is speaking to Hebrew readers, is trying to help them to come to terms with where does the law fit into Jesus Christ and the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And so he is saying it in this way. Jesus 
is the high priest of a new law, a new covenant, the covenant of grace. Remember earlier in our study of Hebrews, we've talked about how the author is consistently trying to point out how Jesus is superior to. And you can start to make a little list. He was superior to the angels. Remember that sermon? He's superior to Moses, right? And now we have it. He's superior to Abraham. And now he has introduced a superior covenant. The reason he does this can be found in six word, seven words that kind of are slipped into that mass of craziness that's so hard and so dense to understand. The reason Christ came as a high priest of a new covenant is very simple. Slipped in, hard to find, but don't forget it. It's these words, by which we draw near to God. He is the high priest of a new covenant by which we draw near to God. I love that. That's the difference. You see, the Mosaic law established the Levitical priesthood, but it established what I would call a vicarious relationship with God. You know, we all say, if your parents, we live vicariously through our children. You know what I mean by that? Like, you know, my kids have traveled the world vicariously. <laughs> we have traveled the world, right? Through our kids, right? And so that is, that is what the Mosaic Law does. It establishes a relationship for the Hebrew people that is vicarious. It's not direct. It's not intimate. It's not personal. It is through a priest. Right? However, this law, this new covenant, draws us near to God ourselves. And that is why he's gone through this... <laughs> This complicated comparison of Melchizedek so that people will understand that Jesus Christ has introduced a means by which we can have an intimate relationship with God. This is why you can read in 1 Peter 2, Peter's great words. You are a chosen people a royal priesthood. You. You're not a priest by ancestry, I don't think. <laughs> right? None of you were born in Aaron's family line, but you're a priest in God's eyes. Guess what? You're a priest in the order of Melchizedek. You think about it. Because you're an anomaly. You're outside the norm. And so, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises, or do the work of a priest, declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So this great concept of the priesthood of all believers was 
captured by Martin Luther, a Catholic priest, professor, and monk, who was the one who started what we call the Protestant Reformation. In his day, I mean, if you were a Christian, you couldn't even read the scriptures because you weren't trained in Latin like the priests. And the only Bibles that existed were in Latin. So you couldn't read the Word of God. You had to go to a priest and say, what does the Word of God say? Because I didn't take Latin. And Martin Luther didn't like that, even though he himself was a priest. He said, no, 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 that's not Scripture. Scripture teaches us in Hebrews that we're all priests. And guess what he did? He translated the Word of God from Latin into German. He was German. So that average folks, you, God's royal priesthood, could read the Word and understand God better. This is what he says, Martin Luther. The priest is not made, he must be born a priest, must inherit his office. I refer to the new birth, the birth of water and the spirit. Thus all Christians must become priests, children of God and co-heirs with Christ, the most high priest. So co-heirs with the most high priest. So he challenged this vicarious relationship with God and opened up people's minds to this idea of what was Scripture, the priesthood of all believers. And so, I want to conclude with one other quote from Martin Luther, which is challenging. I mean, it should be encouraging to us that we don't have to have a vicarious relationship with God. We don't have to go through a, a priest who's Motives might not even be the best, right? And we don't have to do that. We have a personal relationship. We are a priest. We can enter into the most holy place ourselves. That is encouraging. But, but I like what, being a priest, I like what Martin Luther says. He says, men universally consider the title of priest glorious and honorable. Oh, good, yippee, you're a priest. Right? It's acceptable to everyone. But the duties and the sacrifice of the office are rarely accepted. The Christian priesthood costs life, property, honor, friends, and all worldly things. It costs Christ the same on the Holy Cross. Yeah, we're priests! But guess what? There's a huge cost to being a priest. It means giving up everything. Right? Priests didn't hold land in Israel. They gave up everything. They were, they were cared for by God himself. That's a challenge to us. You are a priest in the order of Melchizedek, but there's a responsibility that comes with that. Right? And it requires all of us, every bit of us, to be a priest and to serve as priests. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Uh, we recognize that because we're living in 2019, we're Canadians, we weren't grown, didn't grow up in synagogues, that uh, this passage is very foreign to us. But I thank you, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit you can reveal truth still 
And what a truth. What a truth. That Jesus Christ has made a way for us to have a personal relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, for Holy, thank you, Holy Spirit, for being God in us. The Lord, help us as we try to be the priesthood of all believers. Try to be the priests that you've called us to be. To be willing to make the sacrifice, to be effective, and not to mimic or emulate the priests of the Old Testament who somehow translated that into self-righteousness pride, as looking down on others, as being better than others, being more special. But help us to understand it in your way of being a priest, where you are willing to die so that we could have life. Help us to be willing to die. Help us to be willing to give everything to be a holy priesthood, a holy nation, your special possession. In Jesus' name we pray.